Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Um, as you know, I love traveling. This week, I'm traveling to the Czech Republic, and I'm traveling to talk with uh, someone who's been involved with TEDx Prague uh, since the very early days. Samuel Titora, welcome to the show. Hello. Now, Thanks for having me. Now, we, we, as we were talking before we got we got on, you you had said that uh, you're you're a retiree, so you're kind of in the ecosystem of TEDx Prague. But you you called yourself something interesting. You said you're a Y keeper, and I know as as TEDx people, we're all familiar with Simon's talk about why. Why why do you call yourself a Y keeper? I love that. I think uh, we had, during the history of TEDx Prague, uh, several moments where we needed to clarify the why. And we quite often also argued about why we are doing this. And each decision brings also a question why. When we're, we're talking whether to have a 300 people Mm. in the audience, or 1,200, mm. or 1,700. Uh, we always need to ask why. Well, uh, I think we need to ask why, and I love to ask why. And sometimes I don't like the answer. That's all right. But I, I like asking questions like that. And when new people came onto the team, uh, I really loved explaining to them why this is special, why this is so exciting. Has the the primary why changed over the years, or did you settle into one, and then that became the one that the new people would hear? <laughs> I think that we have developed uh, different whys among the team, and uh, there's not a single one. Uh, at the first, at first, there was this great feeling of, look, there's something like TED, but it will be local. It will be present. Uh, we would be able to get in touch with it. Uh, let's just do it. Let's join in and let's see where it takes us. Uh, this was 2009, and... That was the very beginning, the first year. Very beginning, yes. Uh, during the years, we said why we are doing that. Is it for the show? Mm. Is mm. it... Uh, um, well, what is it for? And we talked about, like, we are here to create opportunities for ourselves. Yeah. 
uh, for the speakers, for those who had never been on a stage but have great ideas, great stories, uh, opportunities for the audiences to get in touch something unfamiliar or maybe even unpleasant and disturbing mm. because that's a great mm. opportunity and I love those moments when I disagree because you can learn a lot. Mm. And then the, I think the present leaders say uh, our why is we are doing TEDx because we want to change people's lives. And that's also something that I became skeptical of. Really? And tell, it, me, tell me about yeah. that. Uh, well, uh, it's kind of a long story, but I became involved and fell in love with TEDx in early 2010. And I started spending very, very much time with it. Uh, lots of energy, lots of emotion invested. And that was the time uh, when my second children was, uh, second child mm, was born. Mm. And two years later, we moved into a small town of Kolin out of Prague. And about last year, I discovered that I'd been living in a town where my children go to school, where my life is located, but not lived. And that maybe uh, trying to change people's lives uh, on an event in the capital of our Republic through an event uh, is something that is nice. But my wife's, my children's, my neighbor's lives are affected by the fact that I'm with my heart, with my mind, uh, with TEDx, not with the people that I mm. am with. Mm. And so, yeah, so I was thinking about after eight years, whose lives am I influencing and, and how? And who needs me more? I can, so I, I understand that. And that right. we, we hear that a lot now that we're going into, well, next year will be the 10th anniversary of TEDx, right? And we right. think of um, there's so many of us that have been doing this from the very beginning and uh, asking those big questions and, you know, continuing to dedicate, you know, a thousand hours of our year and all of the the mental energy and the kind of questions that we ask and the, the things that are asked of us. Um, those are, those are, uh, they're right on brand for you being the why person, right. To, you know, like, why am I doing this? You'd said earlier um, before we got on the call that you're also uh, the chronicler. What, what does that mean? You said you're the chronicler of TEDx. Uh, well, I do remember I remember a lot, sometimes more than I would like to. <laughs> and I remember all the struggles, all the trials. Um, and I like to tell the story and ex to explain to the new people how these things evolved. Uh, and I 
also I'm kind of you know I'm not an entrepreneur I don't have much of a forward thinking I like to think backwards sometimes and when there's a, a new event coming everybody's so excited about how it will be right. uh, what uh, we'll do and I like to think about um, well there's 130 past speakers let's invite them too uh, let's talk to them about what they would like to see at our event let's not throw them away after we've uh, had them on stage let's stay in touch even with those members of the team that uh, once worked for us and left so yeah uh, i like to remember and uh, there's uh there's an interesting I, i've thought about that um having a, a but i've not done it having like a council if you will of the past speakers uh to mm -hmm. to tap into because they've they have walked the miles you know they've stepped into the red circle they've done all of that they've put in the time and you know in in many cases have gone on i i know many cases ourselves where you know the talk has changed their life i mean it was an inflection point in their life and i'm going to guess with over 150 speakers uh, at tedx prague um that you could probably mentioned 10 easily where where their life has been changed and maybe it's not that you know in the wanting to change people's lives it's giving the opportunity to the speaker to get their idea launched out into the universe and that in fact does change their life or starts right. a movement or something like that and being a part of that is is absolutely magical right when you're mentioning the speakers what we found out in a uh, well, small country with a very, very minor language uh, that even if we translate our talks into English, uh, we want to have the majority of talks in our mother tongue to be as accessible as possible for our local audience, which uh, blocks uh, our thoughts and our talks from spreading. I, I don't know how you, but... I don't feel that many English speakers are used to watching subtitled talks in different languages. Uh, but we thought, well, let's focus on the moment, not on the videos and mm. on the numbers of views and stuff. Let's focus on the speakers. And maybe their talk is not uh, the greatest when watched from a video, but if it changed their lives... Uh, if it touches the hearts, they may miss uh, their final three sentences, although we train them <laughs> to remember those three sentences well. Uh, but if there was a thought that touched somebody's heart in the middle of the talk, uh, it's worth it. And we've done our job, and it may, the talk may not be watched a uh, hundred thousand times, uh, but it, mm, we, we all did a great job and we've got stories, uh, that these things happen. You mentioned that you, um, started, tra you started translating talks in 2009. So are right. you the one who translates the talks each year and, and 
so and the follow-up to that is um tell our listener who may not know about mm-hmm. the ted x translator project well there's a uh, long history to that it started in 2009 uh slightly before uh, the tedx project that's uh, that put their videos online in 2006 and i fell in love with them mm. and wished to be able to show them to my mom to my wife who wouldn't enjoy them in english oh. so when uh, or even my grandmother when uh, this opportunity came to translate them to have a system that would easily help us to put subtitles uh, to the talks. I jumped in. I was about, I think, the fourth in our country, in our language, started translating. Through that, I learned about TEDx and started with TEDx. And I, uh, I've i been translating ever since. I've, I've translated or uh, reviewed and assisted to translate uh, about 105 TED Talks, uh, which is not a lot compared to some uh, fellow translators. But uh, when you talk to a TEDx organizer, it's sometimes like talking to a classmate mm-hmm. because you know mm-hmm. uh, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you're talking to a fellow TED translator, being from Belgium or Poland or uh, Brazil, it sometimes feels like talking to a sibling because wow. you're wow. of the same kind. You're, you've spent hours and hours of listening to the voices of our beloved TED speakers and TEDx sometimes, and you've taken each of their sentence and try to do the best to transpose it into mm, your language. Uh, and for some of our great speakers, I've done this from Czech to English. Uh, this is amazing. And I haven't retired and I'm not planning to retire from <laughs> translating. Uh, uh, it's a very different kind of activity. Uh, but it's wonderful. And actually, I tried to get to a TED event. Uh, I applied for the scholarship as a TEDx organizer and never succeeded. Uh, I couldn't afford to buy a ticket myself. And then I got invited as a TED translator. Uh, so not the way I... Which event was that? It was the wonderful TED Summit in Banff. I was just going to I was gonna uh, say I met... That was the first time I'd ever met uh, free-range translators from all over the world. And, right. And you all did something that I absolutely loved, which was to help us understand that the cultural references that are made during a talk are maybe the hardest things to translate and those those little sayings that someone has mm-hmm. and if i'm not mistaken there were little stickers that the translators sure. made that had these sayings and and almost every one of them i had no idea what that meant and that was the whole point 
that it wasn't just translating from one language to another language, but it was it was getting those ideas out and getting the the cultural theme back. Uh, there you go. So you've got those stickers. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that, I, I was trying to quickly look for them. They're somewhere in a drawer. Uh, but my life loved them when I brought them back, and it it was an amazing experience right. to meet with very very different but very very similar people up there in the Rockies. Isn't it? Um, I, I think that what I'm finding I love so much is I've been going to TED for over 25 years, and and it was that I used to call it that vacation for my brain. Uh, mm -hmm. to go and sit and listen to the talks. And since I started producing TEDx Santa Barbara in 2010, I'm more drawn towards hanging out with other organizers. And I feel, because the summit was the first time I had gone to something mm -hmm. that was, uh, it was like a third uh, TEDsters and a third translators and a third organizers. Yes. And that the blend was, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. And it was there that I, I, I think the seeds for this show were sown. Like I mm -hmm. want to do something more and bigger and right. then going to fest, you know, I knew fest was coming up last year and I had the idea around Christmas time in uh, 2016 to do something. I didn't know what it was. And Someone had said, uh, it was Will, uh, had said at Ted, look at the case studies that get done after the shows and, and go mm -hmm. study those because that's really where you learn. And he was saying, because I asked him, how do you learn what everybody's doing? Because it's so hard. And he said, he, he, I love this. He starts his day by looking at Flickr and looking at right. the images that have come in mm -hmm. the last 24 hours. I think I've mentioned that on the show. And, and yep. that's when I thought, well, how lucky would it be for me to have this virtual cup of coffee with people and not just have that four-day mm -hmm. experience in person, but to be able to stretch that out. And so far, it's, it's, um, it is it's is kind of like talking to, to siblings, right? I get right. that. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing, but at the same time, I felt there, up in the mountains, uh, uh, that I need to focus on what's going on at home, at the very uh, local uh, area where I am living, and maybe even uh, look at those that would never come to a TEDx. Mm -hmm. uh, because my uh, closest neighbors are people that I don't know by names. We're all living in our closed homes. Uh, uh, it's wonderful to hang out with the global souls online or <laughs> in real. Uh, but I feel that I um, need to focus on where I'm living and not to be in this in these days where our societies and uh, I can feel it very strongly now in Central Europe are. Uh, divided between those that want to be uh, closed and safe and those that are willing to be open that we well at least i feel that i should uh hang out more with those that live near me 
maybe they are not that attractive as you or uh, people from Brazil or Taiwan or Poland, but they need me present and they need me open to them, not only to the great people out there. Um, so it was great to get in touch with the people and TEDx organizers have always been my friends uh, all around the Czech Republic and I try to uh, support them and we organize an annual meeting in well, a wine cellar. Yeah, we, we meet at a wine cellar in May or June and uh, we try to encourage the new ones to, to learn from us and to, mm, to see how things are going in smaller towns because there are towns about uh, 20,000 people that want to have their sure, own TEDxs. Of course. Of course. Uh, and their audiences are much more um, grateful for what's happening mm. because mm. there's nothing like a TEDx or well, almost nothing happening in such a town. When there's a TEDx coming, uh, it's a miracle. It's wonderful. Wow. Wow. When we're doing TEDx in, a, in the capital, you know, there's an, a sexy event every other night, <laughs> maybe two or maybe ten. Uh, so that's very different uh, whether you serve a, a community of people who went to school or who meet in the streets or to a, com well, I wouldn't call that a community, the million people of the capital. So I love to meet with the uh, yeah organizers of the smaller TEDx's and I helped uh, found a TEDx in Pilsen, which is, is a small university town. And I love uh, the atmosphere of their events. It's amazing. How many TEDx events are in the Czech Republic? Uh, I would say about 12 right now. Some have gone to sleep. Maybe they wake up again. And yeah. uh, some are in preparation. But students at high schools and some universities starting to pick up the idea. And I love that. I try to support have them. You, have and you mentored one of the youth events? Uh, yeah, I try to. One of uh, our TEDx, well, youth at TEDx Prague, the first youth event. Uh, and it's great. I helped a, uh, a school, uh, a local school here, it was two years ago with the teachers on, you know, what did they mm -hmm. need to do to get the license and the application? What did that look like? And then they went back and they formed an entire class, an elective class that uh, 21 students took uh, and started in September and then had their event uh, in January. Meanwhile, we had the largest wildfire in California history here and half yeah. of the students were, you know, living in hotels and evacuated. And uh, it really spoke to the resilience of them. And when their teacher said, you know, we don't have to do this. We can do it in the spring. They said, no, 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 we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I love being around that energy. So I could see where that would be very attractive, uh, you know, to, to be with them. And, you know, as someone who has, you know, been down the road many times yourself and uh, you like telling stories, that's a, the perfect atmosphere 
to have them at your knee, so to speak, and, and, you know, helping them because they're so eager to learn and they want to do such a good job and they feel the, 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 uh, the mantle, the, the burden of the responsibility to, um, to do something that, that's, uh, a, a maybe out of their grasp and they like to stretch. I like that. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's funny that when I joined TEDx Prague, uh, nine years ago, I was almost one of the oldest, uh, then aged 29. Oh, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but it, these, these keep changing and I love the mixture of the people. And you also mentioned it uh, in one of the, uh, the talks that in your team, you've got young people and older, more experienced people. This is wonderful when uh, people mix and we love that to have it on our stage too, to have right. teenagers and people yeah. in their eighties yeah. or even nineties. Wow. Those wow. are very precious. May sometimes may not make the eighteen minute limit, but we don't mind. <laughs> no, it's just to have them and to listen to them, uh, and you cry when you listen to them, and and that's good. <laughs> well, not always. Now, how many? I'm I'm curious about how many speakers you have, and and do you stay? with pulling the speakers from the local region or do you tend to invite outsiders in? Is there, uh-huh. what's the idea? Uh, well, we want to have local people. We want to have people from the outside world to, to bring some fresh ideas, fresh air. We're always dealing with, um, the desire to bring up, uh, those that are not un, not known yet right. and right. might become stars and attracting audiences by putting on stage people that are known and famous and interested. Uh, we need that also for the sponsors. Mm. Because if you say, we'll have uh, 15 unknown people on stage, would you like to uh, support them? Uh, they would say, well... <laughs> Uh, why would we, if they're able to invite, well, their tribe, uh, look, we're supporting TEDx and this year, this and this person will come, uh, come and listen. Uh, it helps, uh, to get the sponsorship also. So we're trying to have a mix of local people, young and old. And also bring someone very interesting uh, from abroad. I uh, have a great memory of bringing Barbara Scher to TEDx Prague when we were talking about dreams. We always mm. have a topic mm. for uh, the event. Sure. And she's all about dreams. It's a wonderful old lady. And it was her dream to come to TEDx. Oh, my gosh. So oh, great. we made her dream come true and she was wonderful. It was wonderful. What do you think uh, is the, the biggest, I mean, let's take this up a little bit because I want to, I want to talk about the small community. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge now is we're we've been doing this now almost 10 years. Just think larger than just your event. What's the biggest challenge for TEDx organizers? Do you think? Hmm. Uh, 
when I spoke to Ralph Talman in uh, in Warsaw last year, uh, he said he's got a stable team of 30 to 40 people and they've been doing it uh, maybe longer than us. And for me, this sustainability and continuity mm -hmm. and passing on mm. is, uh, is a, the greatest challenge. And, uh, what do you think is the, <laughs> the, the, the secret or the thing that, um, an organizer could think about now as they're going into their next year? Is it, is it shadowing? Is it pacing yourself? Is it, what is it? Cause I've talked to some that have done it every single year. And then I've talked to some, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, um, like myself, you know, we did three years and said, that's it. And took, I thought we were done and we took a year off and then I was magnetically pulled back. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you think is the secret to the sustainability? How have you seen it done? Well, uh, Frankly, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know <laughs> the secret. That's a fair answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I would say uh, it's always about the people who are at the core. Mm -hmm. It may not be the licensee. It might be someone close to the center, not always the official responsible person and we used to have such a person who guided us through a very difficult uh, change uh, we were struggling with leadership and uh, had some very painful experiences and uh, in 2013, or well, earlier, when we were preparing uh, the event for 2013, uh, one of the guys brought in uh, his uh, classmate, David, uh, a building um, engineer. And he said, well, he's an engineer. He might help us with, um, he, he's almost an architect. He might help us with the stage design. Okay. And David soon became involved in everything. Uh, from programming to communication, uh, sponsorship, also stage design. And uh, his personality was wonderful because he was friend with everyone. And as I learned later uh, during the studies of improvisation, he always used the magical uh, yes and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he always agreed with the silliest thing you said. He added a bit himself and he offered help. Uh, so when I thought about uh, we should have this and this, he said, yes, that's great. And I'll call this person and I'll right. call. And this principle, wherever it appears, is uh, a wonderful example of great leadership. And it helps to keep the community uh, together and engaged and happy. Um, now, you, you recognize that is an improvisational uh, 
uh, ninja skill to, <laughs> to, to do that. Um, was he, was that just a natural innate part of his personality or had he studied improv and was familiar with that idea or was it because you were familiar, you recognized it? I wasn't familiar at that time uh-huh. and I don't think he ever studied it. Um, so it just happened that I learned later that this is the principle that keeps things uh, moving on and that uh, keeps people involved. Um, unfortunately, uh, we lost it to leukemia oh. and uh, his last event was about dreams. We had a wonderful girl talking about her dream of um, engaged saying goodbye. She was talking about her experience when her grandfather was dying and he was in the hospital connected to all the machines and tubes and in a very unpleasant surrounding. And she talked about her dream of changing this modern habit of uh, outsourcing the last days to an institution. Mm. And um, and David loved this talk. We all loved it. And when uh, very soon after the event, uh, we lost him, we knew how to say goodbye mm. very actively. Mm. Mm. We were there uh, all together. Uh, we let uh, our emotions out. We cried. We sang. And... That was a way of changing our lives, and the speaker uh, helped us change our lives and go through a very, very painful experience. experience. And not only us, but there are, there's actually a book uh, by a woman who lost her husband uh, mentioning this TEDx talk, mm. which is a great honor mm. because uh, the talk helped her. So, so I would I would challenge your earlier statement when you said you don't know if you can actually change people's lives. Maybe that's <laughs> too high by because you it's very clear that that your life was changed and the way you look at death now is forever changed and not just you but sure. but many many sure. many people. I'm I'm curious I, I keep going back to your focus on family and the family feeling. Have you, um, and I don't know if you may have already thought of this, but have you thought of doing a TEDx in your small town and have it be focused on your community and your family? Uh, I've, I found out that I'm not uh, connected to the community yet. Mm. And at the moment I found out, I, started to change this and since um, the last summer i tried to connect with uh, as many people as possible well maybe not as many but also thinking about quality quality of the relationship not only networking you can network yourself to death (laughs) sometimes Uh, but i uh, joined a small group of people who organize a so-called open street 
sure. which brings sure. uh, pre people together. So we'll have uh, our first event on 4th of April. And I've uh, started talking with the local scout community mm. to help them build something. So I think that once I know the community and I'm part of it, uh, I'll be happy to do a TEDx or a similar open uh, uh, event or a movement that would bring people together, young and old, uh, from different backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is and, something so powerful about feeling woven into the fabric of your community. Uh, we're right, we're right. 85,000 here in Santa Barbara, uh, by any measure, that's a small town. And uh-huh. it being, we moved our event to be right downtown so that we could be a part of the community, a part of the conversation. And I thought it one, I, I, one of our whys is that, um, I want the community to feel very proud about the ideas that come from Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Like Earth Day started in right. Santa Barbara, for instance. You know, wow, that's great. Yeah, there, there are lots of uh-huh. things like that. The blue laser, right. you know, uh, uh, just so many different things that we don't don't know about, or you're new to town and you don't know that there's such a rich mm-hmm. heritage that goes back 2000 years to the Chumash Indians, uh, you know, for art and creativity and ideas mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things and being, and being identified. It's interesting. Um, I have a day job like we all do. Uh, yet when I'm out, the card I give out is the TEDx Santa Barbara card. Cause I want to be like, that's, that's the yes. role I want. I'm not, yeah, I'm a business guy where we all do whatever that thing is, but I, I want you to think more about being a little uh, lighthouse for me to go look for interesting people in your life and send me a right. note of, Oh, yeah. I met this guy. And I, I love what you said about um, giving people the opportunity to, be on the stage who wouldn't normally have that uh, TEDx Pasadena has, they call that muted voices and uh-huh. that's yes. their, that's a hundred percent of what they do. I mean, they, if, if you've, if they get any sense that you've already done this some way, not necessarily done a TED yep. talk, but this is no, no, this is for the people that can't get there. And I, I appreciate that. Now, I know that you're a musician uh, because I, I see it in every picture I've seen of you. There is a stringed instrument <laughs> in the background. And I'm curious about um, the role of music and performance in your TEDx's and where that fits. Because uh-huh. not everybody pays attention to that because there aren't um, – there aren't TED talks of performances, right? We don't see any of the amazing things that have happened in Vancouver or Long Beach or Monterey, unless you watch the live stream or you, right. know, you do TEDx live. Right. So, so tell me about that. Uh, we must have music at TEDx, <laughs> uh, and we've had that uh, ever since the second event. Uh, and uh, 
it well it, practically it refreshes minds yeah uh, but it also can bring a great value of uh helping the audience restart their emotions uh so uh i brought a wonderful friend of mine uh marwan al sulaiman who's a syrian well a czech of syrian origin who came here in 1980s and he plays lute mm. and sings mm. and he's a poet and he played uh, three love songs in arabic mm. at our event that was called ours and theirs Uh, and he added a last song that he um, he said he found in an old manuscript he started oh. singing it in arabic and later we all found out that it's an old folk czech song translated into arabic oh my and was, gosh uh, you could you know maybe not everybody got it but those who understand were amazed by um, the joke and the spirit uh, i loved it last year we had uh, a guy who reinvented um, home concertos or home sessions of classical music and he started playing on his cello on stage and then about i think four or five fellow musicians uh stood up uh, in the audience and started playing accompanying him and later well came down on the stage and played with him uh that was amazing uh I, yeah we play with it a lot and i i love that idea it reminds me of one the way they opened a ted in long beach one year where <laughs> there was someone on stage and then there was people positioned throughout Um tell me about the logistics of that. Um, the the surprise for the audience is pretty great, but the logistics was that easy to do because I I kind of like that idea. I might want to play with that. Uh we had about four aisles uh within the setup of the hall, so it was quite easy. Uh last year I was helping with the backstage uh, buzz <laughs> and I I love it. So we we just accompanied the musicians, uh, helped them. It was not diff very difficult to do. Okay. You only okay. you only need wireless microphones, right. and then you can do a lot of fun with it. And so then they 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 came onto the stage and then finished the piece on the stage. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that. I'm I'm totally going to do that. Okay, TEDx Santa Barbara people that are listening, <laughs> we have the. Um, We're, we're very famous for the Music Academy of the West, uh, uh -huh. which is about a short walk from my house. Uh, and they have uh, some of the most amazing musicians are invited here every summer uh, for summer right. uh, workshops. And it's uh -huh. pretty spectacular what happens. Um, but our event is not in the summer, so I'm going to need to go find my musicians elsewhere. I've got a question as we, we kind of, we've, I've uh, kept you for quite a while and um, 
we went our our conversation, as I said in the beginning, went in a completely different direction than, than <laughs> I had. Uh, but that's that's what I love when a couple of improvers get together. Um, for people, because the people who listen to the show, they're they're organizers like yourself and and team members. Um, what advice would you give when? there are the tough times. I mean, it's easy to find the mm-hmm. excitement when we're, you know, when all the good stuff's happening. It's not always good stuff. And what advice would you give someone who's, you know, maybe questioning or, you know, all, all of those things? Well, I would say reach for help. Okay. And what I do is I usually reach to some of our past TEDx speakers who really uh, some of them really became my friends and some can help uh, me personally uh, just by talking, uh, reminding me of uh, what TEDx meant to them. Uh, And Yeah, uh, and I would say don't be afraid to take some time off. Uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, uh, don't overstretch yourself, and uh, there will be people who can substitute you. Yeah, and sometimes even looking for someone who could do what you did can help the community more than. Uh, trying to work too hard um, and don't be afraid of uh, taking into the team onto the team <laughs> uh, someone who's new uh, we needed uh, someone to do the production because our uh, production of, well two years ago uh, wasn't uh, wasn't clear uh, so I went through the list of all the people who uh, applied to well join in as volunteers, and I read through the list and checked their bios and their notes, and I found a girl who said she loved uh, food uh, spreads, especially. She's blogging about uh, spreads and about what huh. to put on your bread, huh. and she loves Excel. Uh, so I thought, well, that that's a great person. I want to meet her. Uh, so I did, although some of the team members said, no, we're going to cope with production somehow. I said, no, we need someone dedicated. I talked to this wonderful Tereska, and she became one of the hearts of the team. Wow. Wow. Uh, and she's been there ever since. So uh, somehow I feel free to to rest when I know that I brought in someone who's that great uh, in spirit and in uh, deeds. Do you have a favorite question on the volunteer form that you always look to see how they answered it? Um, well, well, I don't. <laughs> uh, and... I think it sometimes comes as a feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not very 
structured in thinking about uh, you know the human resources and stuff uh, uh, but I don't think people are resources I just like to yeah, yeah. Like, wa- watch yeah. them to see their eyes yeah. usually yeah, yeah. eyes are more important than any question answered yes yeah you're well, I almost <laughs> shining want to eyes show on that yeah boy yep. there's um it's it's the ability to smile with your eyes when you're not mm-hmm. smiling and uh, someone knows uh, that you're doing that. And, and uh, that's actually a skill that you can develop. It's, you know, you, you have to start with something, but when someone has that, it clearly comes across in their picture. As, as we come to the end here, and I, and I appreciate my audience uh, listener hanging in there. Um, as you know, I like to put you on the red carpet, turn it into a magic carpet and fly you somewhere around the world to a TEDx you would like to go to. Mm-hmm. Where is that TEDx? I would love to see all the TEDx's in our country. Mm. Uh, personally, even in the small towns. Uh, so, of course, I'd love to go to Africa or uh, Canberra. But to be able to really get in touch with everybody close to myself, and maybe Vienna. Uh, mm-hmm. Vlad Gozman's got a great history of yeah. wonderful yeah. TEDx events. So, yeah, but I'll be satisfied with just seeing uh, Krakow in Poland and mm-hmm. Berlin mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. the Central mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. It would take years <laughs> right. just to make that. I have uh, I have said to my wife, who's uh, our co-organizer, that I I would love it if... I was able to travel on Thursdays to some place on Friday where uh, there was a dress rehearsal. So I could uh-huh. God, cause I love the behind the scenes so much. Right. And, right. and then to enjoy the event on a Saturday. And then I love the after part where it's kind of like going to a wedding sure. and everybody gets to the speakers who have flown in and, and all of the big brunch. I love mm-hmm. all of that. And then come home. I would, I would, I would do that every weekend if I could. Uh, it's the the it's just the the kind of people we get to meet who are so dedicated to uh, this idea and who see themselves as a part of a much bigger thing. Like we, we're, you know, the the um, a tiny cog in a very big idea that is just mm-hmm. keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I, I talked to uh, TEDx Buffalo and she said that she'd been doing Buffalo for years and years and years. And it wasn't until she went to Ted Fest last year that the enormity and the diversity and the interestingness, mm-hmm. if you will, um, really hit home and it changed everything for her. And uh, so that's why I like that question. And I will finish with my, my last one, which is uh, the show is called Hacking the Red Circle. And uh, I'm, I'm always looking for that thing that you do that doesn't cost any money at all, but has a material impact on, on some aspect of the show. What would your best hack be? Hmm. Uh, I would say talk to the volunteers, talk to the 
smallest one, the last one, maybe those that only showed up for half of a day to to help uh, uh, being be nice to the ladies in the uh, cloakrooms and stuff talk to them and explain even to them uh, although they're not part of the organizers why this is happening what you're doing uh, it's amazing to uh, to see how they get uh, interested and how they get involved uh, and they start to treat you differently than anyone else that hires their venue uh, yeah, uh, treat everyone as your equal and try to explain why you're doing that. Uh, you'll feel much more at home, and they—that makes a great difference for me. I I thank you for bringing it all the way back to why, which is an improv. We know we call that a callback, and uh, I, I love that because that's it's clearly the thread that runs through everything that you're thinking about is the why and, and helping people understand it doesn't matter what, what role they have, minor, major, whatever. Um, having that human connection is um, I think at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do. Uh, we're trying to feel more connected and, and, and find the significance in, in sure. some way. Right. It's those two, sure. those two things. And, and when we can check those boxes uh, for ourselves and for those that are around us, then, then magic stuff starts to happen. Samuel, thank you so much for right. joining us on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have had this conversation. Thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Great. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.